Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, good morning, everybody. Glad you guys are here. Hey, my name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard. And if you're new, well, welcome. We're going to continue a series this morning here at the Vineyard called Ten of Meeting. Pretty excited about it. This is our third week. We're definitely going to do one more week. And I thought this morning, as I was getting ready for this, we actually might do two more weeks. I don't know. I just had some more ideas and felt like I might have some more things I need to say. But before we get into this morning's message which is about prayer, uh, I, want to you, I want to give you a chance to hear from someone else besides me. And so we're going to play a little video this morning uh, from Travis Kennan. Many of you guys know Travis. He's been here for years, and Travis is a prayer person, is a prayer person. And so he's going to just offer us a little something this morning about what you need to know if you're going to pray. So why don't we go ahead and play that. If I could tell the church one thing about prayer is always seek the Lord's heart for a particular situation or person that might get on your nerves. Um, seeking the Lord's heart for those, for those particular situations is really important um, because you get to really know the Lord in that situation, but also the Lord changes your perspective of, of a person and lets you see, and He lets you see how He sees them and totally changes your mind. Um, and one of my favorite things about prayer is you're in the secret place and you're praying the Lord's heart and things change and you get to know that you had part in something. And you took part in something that was really important for His heart. And that's the good stuff for me. I want to say that what Travis is talking about this morning is true. It's true. Uh, one, of the, one of the main things that we get in prayer is the Lord's perspective. Uh, we, we, need what, we need to know what he thinks about something and what he feels about someone in order to really do any good. You know, this is great. So thanks, Travis. And uh, now we'll begin this morning's message. And I want to talk to you this morning about why we even pray. Why pray to begin with? If you want to, you can open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. And we're going to read two different portions of Exodus chapter 33. And we're going to put them up next to each other. And we're going to talk about why would someone pray? Why would we pray? Here's our first scripture this morning. We'll start here goes like this it says the Lord said to Moses get going you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt go up to the land that I swore to give Abraham Isaac and Jacob I told them I will give this land to your descendants and I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites the Amorites Hittites Perizzites Hivites and Jebusites 
Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey. But I will not travel among you, for you are a stubborn and a rebellious people. And if I did, I'd surely destroy you along the way. It's an encouraging Bible scripture. Put this one on your bathroom mirror. Put this one on the, on the refrigerator and pray this one. All right, so this is our first scripture. Now I want to show you something else. Same chapter. This is 12 through 14. It says this. One day Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land. But you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You've told me, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. And if that's true, look favorably on me. Let me know your way so that I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. And the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Aren't those two scriptures kind of fun when you put them together? I like them. But I want to talk to you this morning about why do we pray? Why do we pray? Especially, especially when you can take two pills and get rid of a headache. Like, why pray, especially when we can adjust the thermostat from an app on our phone? And why would anybody want to pray when you can get on a plane in Louisville and in four short hours soak up California sunshine? And why would anybody pray when you can find every answer on the internet? And why would you pray when you can microwave ramen noodles in two minutes? And why pray when you can swipe your credit card? And why would you want to pray when you can receive an advanced degree from home? And then finally, why would anybody pray when you can pay $200 an hour to talk to someone about your problems? Here's a few reasons why. The first reason is this. Some headaches don't respond to pills. And then at some point, the app on your phone is going to freeze and your air conditioning is going to break. And then at some other point, you eventually figure out that the sun that is shining in California is the same star that's shining here in Kentucky. And you might want to pray because you might want to be the sort of person who is not only asking the sort of questions that can be answered on Google. You might want to think about that for a minute. And you might want to pray because the really good stuff, and what do I mean by the really good stuff? I mean the really good stuff, food, family, and joy, it's always in the slow cooker. And you might want to pray because the bill's going to show up at the end of the month. Swipe all you want now, but at the end of the month, there's going to be a bill that shows up. And you might want to pray because that stay-at-home degree might just be another piece of paper. And you might want to pray because even though you can spend $200 and sit down in someone's really cool office and talk about your problems, 
the result might be that you realize you have about $2 million worth of problems. At least when it comes to issues, you are a millionaire. Hopefully by now you realize I'm being a little bit silly. If you need therapy, for the love of God, get some therapy. <laughs> but here's what I would like to say. If you're going to get therapy, for the love of God, pray. Oh my goodness. Don't ever take the pills without praying. And don't ever spend the $200 without praying. And don't ever get on a flight without praying because at the end of the day you can swipe your credit card all you flipping want to and at the end of the month there's going to be a bill and there won't be any happiness you can't buy it you can't travel it you can't talk it out at the end of the day the only way we're going to find the buzz and everybody's looking for a buzz everybody's looking for transcendence everybody's looking for the tingle the only way you're going to find that is to meet the transcendent one that's it I want to talk to you this morning about three reasons why we pray. Three reasons why we pray. We're going to do two pretty quickly, and then we're going to slow down a little bit on the third one. Is that all right? First reason, first reason we pray. First reason we pray is because all of the saints prayed. All of the saints prayed. Read through the scripture and notice that anybody who knows God and read through church history and notice that anybody who knows God and gives their lives to God and begins to make a difference in the world every single time, every single one of those people was a prayer person. Abraham prayed. One of my favorite stories in Genesis, Abraham prays for Abimelech and God heals him. It's really cool. David was always praying. We have this image of David playing music, but David was mostly a prayer guy. And oftentimes the, the music that David wrote, there were just prayers that he sang. David was all, always praying. Uh, Daniel prayed. I'll read you a scripture here. This is Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, and by the way, this law that had been signed was a really bad one, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. How many of you understand that even right now in America, one of the things we need is we need some Daniels in Washington? We need Daniels in Washington. Hey, you know what? Some of us in the room might have a Daniel calling on our life. And part of that will mean to go into a place where nobody sees and begin to call on God. All the saints pray. All the saints pray. Uh, Jesus prayed. Duh. But how many of us have ever thought about how odd that really is? Anybody thought about that? It's really odd. Uh, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. And he prays. It would be good this week to take a few minutes, maybe even take an hour, and just think about this one thing. Jesus, comma, who is God, <clears throat> prays. Why? I'm not going to give you the answer today. The disciples all prayed. Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer. It should probably be called the Disciples' Prayer. Because it's, it's the one that Jesus gives to the disciples. Uh, the early church prayed. Uh, if you want to read something amazing, you want to read an amazing prayer, uh, in fact, here's a little homework this week. Why don't you read Acts chapter 4? 
One of the most amazing prayers in the whole Bible is in Acts chapter 4. And this is coming at a time when the church was profoundly persecuted. Read the boldness that's in there. Like today, before you go to sleep, you can read Acts chapter 4 in about 40 seconds. I timed myself yesterday. John Huss prayed. Does anybody here know who John Huss was? No one. Perfect. Go find out who John Huss is. Interesting story. Just read, read, read the Wikipedia about John Huss. You will be profoundly shaken at how much some people pray, paid, the price that some people paid because they knew and loved God. John Huss prayed. Luther prayed. Calvin prayed. One of my favorites, Ignatius of Loyola, he prayed. And then Teresa of Avila, she prayed. All the saints prayed. Anybody here heard of Teresa of Avila? She's amazing. She's amazing. I want to read you a prayer from Teresa of Avila. And by the way, this is the prayer that comes from someone who has spent a lot of time getting to know God. You won't come up with this language until you speak to him and you look at him. Listen to this. Majestic Sovereign. Timeless wisdom, your kindness melts my hard, cold soul. Handsome lover. Anybody in here ever called the Lord handsome? Ever? One time? How did, how did Teresa of Avila come to this language of beginning to call God, beginning to call Jesus handsome lover? She had spent time with him. And she had seen that he was beautiful. You, know, you don't come to this language until you get real close. Handsome lover, selfless giver, your beauty fills my dull, sad eyes. I am yours for you have made me. I am yours for you have called me. I am yours for you have saved me. I am yours for you have loved me. I will never leave your presence. You will never leave mine. Give me death. Give me life. Give me sickness. Give me health. Give me honor. Give me shame. Give me weakness. Give me strength. I will have whatever comes from your hand. How many of you, like to, how many of you would like to pray like this? I want to pray like this. All the saints pray. John Wesley prayed. William Seymour prayed. Amy Simple McPherson prayed. Billy Graham prayed. Oral Roberts prayed. John Wimber prayed. Carol Wimber prayed. Dick Salmon prayed. My mama prayed. All the saints pray. Now, if you're a saint, comma, and you are, then you'll pray. Everybody who's awake to God prays. If you have even the slightest grasp of his love, you'll pray. And what's really, really funny about this is no one has to tell you to pray. Every person who's alive on the face of the planet has prayed without anyone ever telling them to do so. It is the reflex of the human heart. You cannot keep a person from praying. What's really interesting is that almost every atheist I've ever talked to has admitted to praying. Not long ago, there's a article in the New York Times written by an atheist and he was writing about modern atheism and secular humanism and how they can advance their cause and all the troubles with essentially what he called religious fanaticism. I agreed with him on most of his article by the way but what was really interesting to me in his article is right in the middle of it he admits that he has prayed and that he still prays even though he doesn't believe there's anyone there. Isn't that interesting? 
So you don't have to teach people to do it. It's the reflex of the human heart. But here's the difference for everybody who's in this room. The difference is the saints don't leave prayer as a reflex, as a reaction, as though something happens and then when, when things get really bad, then I pray. Like if I don't have any money, then I pray. We've all done that, right? You know, the oh crap, I don't have any money prayers. If you haven't, you will. And if you haven't, you're lying. I mean, we've all done that. But what the saints do is the saints press through reflex and, and we come to something that's more like breathing. It's just who we are. It's just who we are. It's not, it's not if things are bad, uh, we pray. It's just, we just pray. Somehow the saints move beyond reflex and into this subterranean cavern where we begin to access this place where God is. Like we know he's there. I can't, I can't put my hand on it. I can't put my finger on it. I just know he's there. And we begin to enter into the mystery of who he is. So why do we pray? Because all the saints pray. All the saints pray. Why do we pray? Number two, we pray for the freedom. Prayer is a part of the free life. And I want to set this into the narrative of the Exodus story. If you remember the Exodus story, now we're in 33, but if you start at the beginning of the Exodus story, what you find is that Israel is being enslaved by Egypt. And in fact, they've been slaves for over 400 years. And that's a really long time to be a slave. And at a certain point, the people of Israel begin to cry out because their labor was so hard. And God says in chapter 3 that he hears their cries and he's going to come down and see what's going on. And in the process of doing so, he calls Moses. He sends Moses back to Egypt. They have a showdown, 10 plagues. At the end of this thing, God's people walk through on dry ground. All of their enemies are swallowed up into the ocean, and they are out in the desert free. But here's what's interesting. When Moses goes to see Pharaoh, when Moses goes to see Pharaoh, he tells him over and over again, let my people go, right? Do you know what he says right after he says, let my people go, every single time? He says, this is what the Lord says, Pharaoh, let my people go, comma, so that they may worship me in the desert. And so by the time we get to Exodus chapter 33, the people of Israel are in the desert and they've begun to set up worship. They've begun to set up worship. They've set up this tent of meeting. It's beginning to happen. And so what we see, if you look at the whole narrative, at the beginning, they're slaves. And by the time we get to 33, where we are, they are set free from their enemies and they're beginning to worship God. And Moses has set up this tent of meeting and he's going in and he's beginning to meet with God, what we might call prayer. What we begin to see, if you look at the whole arc of the story, is that prayer sits in the freedom side. What does it mean to live the free life? No, it means to meet with God, and it means to pray. That's really what it means. It's, it's really, really simple. To the degree that you and I begin to enter into prayer with God is the degree to which we actually enter into real freedom. Now, here's the truth. Uh, everybody here knows this, but our culture is telling us all kinds of things about freedom all the time. Uh, freedom is whoever has the most money, whoever has the most sex, whoever has the most power, whoever has the most honor. But in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, Real freedom is always, always, always connected to God. Uh, you don't need fancy thoughts or fancy language. You just, you just, you begin to talk to Him like friends. That's what I love about the Exodus 33 passage: is that friendship is such an essential part. You don't need to speak perfect Southern Baptist prayer in order to do it. That was a joke, by the way. I had a guy, had a guy tell me, um. 
a couple weeks ago when we started this series, that the main reason he never prayed is because he grew up in a traditional church and he heard people pray for years. And he thought that prayer meant talking in this high, cumbersome language. And because, and because he, he didn't feel like he had that mastered, he just never prayed. See, that's not what prayer is at all. Prayer is to live into the freedom of knowing God and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's relating to God like, like friends. So prayer is freedom and prayer is friendship. And to the degree that we enter in and begin to, begin to know God is the degree to which we become truly free people. And thirdly, this is when we'll begin to deal with our passage this morning. Thirdly, we pray because not everything is settled. Not everything is settled. How many of you noticed this morning that when we read those two passages back to back, that in the first passage, God says, Moses, take off and head out, but I'm not going with you. And in the second passage, God says, okay, I'm going with you. Isn't that interesting? Then in the course of 14 verses, God completely changes his mind. Has anybody ever considered that? What does it mean that we have a God who would change his mind? I mean, doesn't he have a good plan? Like, is he not capable of, of figuring this thing out? I mean, what about the scripture where it says God knows the beginning from the end? If he knows the beginning from the end, then why the heck is he changing his plan and changing his mind mid-course? I, I thought God was in control. How many of you have heard, well, don't worry about it, brother, God's in control. I had an accidental theological conversation with my dad one day, and he said essentially this, if God's in control, then why isn't it better? It's a good observation. Freaks some people out. Really good observation. Let's start with some other questions. Those make people too nervous. How about this? How many of you in the room sometimes feel really settled and really secure, like everything is just right? Like in the core of your being, you know everything is just right. Everything is right in the world. Anybody ever feel like that? Okay, another question. How many of you sometimes feel unsettled, insecure, and like everything is moving, and you can't grasp hold of anything that has any firmness to it. Everything is just up in the air. You ever feel like that? Yeah. Okay, third question. Uh, how many of you sometimes feel all of those things at once? Settled and secure, unsettled and insecure all at the same time. Let me tell you why. Here's a, here's a plausible reason. If you like this reason, you can keep it. If you don't, you can come up with a better reason and come talk to me. <laughs> here's why I think it's entirely possible to feel secure and settled and insecure and unsettled all at the same time. Uh, it's very simple. It's this. God is sovereign and not everything is settled. You're like, oh no, we're back to these questions again. These make me nervous. Some of you are worried about me right now. You're thinking that, like the, a, a lightning bolt's going to come from heaven and strike me. See, God is sovereign and not everything is settled. This is one of the main reasons we pray. Not everything in the world is concrete. 
Not everything that's happening in the world is even things that God likes. Lots of stuff that's happening in the world right now have nothing to do with his plan. See, we pray because prayer is a shaping force in the universe. First shapes us, but then as we begin to be shaped by the love and the affection and the kindness of God, we become people who could go out and shape the world for his kingdom. This is the reason that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Remember that? They say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Because John has taught his disciples to pray, and everybody in the room probably remembers the Lord's Prayer, right? Let's, let's remember the first part. Somebody help me? Uh, thank you, thank you. Our Father, who art in heaven. Okay, now what? Stop. If Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It means it's not. Why would, why would Jesus give his disciples a prayer asking for God's rule and reign? That's what his kingdom is. It's God's rule and reign to come into the earth Unless the earth was a place where some parts of it had not yet been touched by his rule and reign. Is this not? God is sovereign. Not everything is settled. Tons of stuff is happening that has nothing to do with who he is or what he is planning or what he's hoping for. A couple things here. Number one, God has the power to act. We need to work through some of this difficult stuff. So I need everybody to put their thinking caps on for me. Can we do that for a minute? God has the power to act. In fact, all power that is in the universe is from him. Even the power the devil has came from God. That's another issue. We won't go there. God has the power to act. Not only that, but God has the heart and the will to act. One of my favorite stories is in the first chapter of Mark. This guy who has leprosy comes to Jesus uh, which, by the way, was totally illegal. He chases Jesus down, and he falls at his feet. Le and by the way, leprosy guys were supposed to be way out, you know. And he falls at his feet, and he says, I know you can heal me if you're willing. See, no, no, one, no one has trouble believing God can do something. The issue is, is he willing to do it, right? And Jesus just says, I'm willing. And he reaches out, and he touches the guy, totally snow white clean. So God has the power to act. God has the heart to act, the will. God's heart and his will is for goodness to be in the earth everywhere. And then we might go, well, why isn't goodness everywhere, right? Well, it's this third issue, and it has to do with authority. It's the right to act. Now, some of us are thinking, well, he's God. He's got the right to act, right? Except remember Genesis? Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28. It says that God made man and woman in his image... And he gave them dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and everything that crawls. And when you remember a few verses later, it says that Adam went through the garden naming all of the animals. In some really profound way, in some really significant way, God has taken some of his authority and he's given it to people. Isn't this interesting? So God has the power, he's got the heart, and he's got the authority, except he gave a bunch of the authority away to people. And you think, well, why in the world would he do that? But we can just take a break right here. Can we take a time out again? 
Okay, so if God's got the power and he's got a heart and he's given away a lot of the authority and he's given it to people like me and you, does this not explain why tons of stuff in the world is really jacked up? How many of you understand that most of what happens in a negative sense uh, gets blamed on God? Most of what happens in a negative sense that gets blamed on God is not God's fault. It's our fault. Let's just, you know. It's so strange, isn't it? It is so strange. So God really did give something away. And by the way, if God has given away authority, and he did... If God has given away a significant amount of power, and he did, to people, can we not also see that that choice is a manifestation of his sovereignty? Let me explain it like this. Okay, so some theologies say that everything that happens is God's plan. Everything that happens is God's will. If you get eat up with cancer and you die early and you leave four kids to your to your husband or your wife, and then they file bankruptcy because they got a bunch of medical bills, uh, and everything goes to hell in a handbasket. Well, that was God's will, and his ways are higher than ours, and you've heard this stuff, right? I just want to say it's garbage. It's garbage. Like, God doesn't give people cancer because he doesn't have it to give. It's like, what pocket would he stick his hand in to find that? Bigger than that, if God has given people cancer and ruining homes, then what in the heck is the devil doing? That's always my question. These are good questions. Okay, so God has the power, he has a heart, and he's given significant amount of authority away, and it makes this risky world. It's, it's a really risky place. And what that means is not everything is settled, and this is why we pray. This is why we pray. It's the reason why uh, we see things like in Exodus where God would change his mind. I'm not going to go with you because if I go with you, I'll kill you. No, I'll go with you, and I'll bless you. Not everything is settled. And we could go through the scriptures and find a bunch more places for this, but it's amazing. God has left some aspects of the future really, really open. Not everything is settled. Uh, here's a better way to think about this stuff. A lot of us have grown up with this idea that God is in meticulous control, that every single thing that happens is the reflex of his own will, and he has predestined it to us, and if you don't get it, you should just, you know, shut up, take your medicine, because his ways are higher than ours. And ultimately, I find that those kinds of thoughts that surround God are really unhelpful. Here's what I think is a better way to think about this stuff. More than God having a plan, and I do think he has a plan. I think it works different. But more than a plan, what God has is a destination. And I think this is a much more helpful way to think about this stuff. God has a destination in mind. More than a series of successive events that absolutely have to take place, God has a destination in mind. And the scripture is full of all of these examples of the destination that God has in mind for us. So, for instance, one of the peaks in Scripture is Romans chapter 8. And Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that God has predestined, there's that word again, God has predestined something for his sons and daughters. Do anybody in here remember what it is? God has predestined that we would be conformed to the image of his son. So here's the, already we see that 
this whole predestination thing, man, it's, it's in some ways a lot different than the way we typically divide that up. The destination that God has is that eventually you and I would be conformed to the image of his son, that you would have Jesus' heart and that you would have Jesus' power and that you would be a perfect, radiant display of what it looks like to live in union with the son of God. Does this make sense? So more than a meticulous plan that has a trillion steps, what God has is a destination. God has a destination. Let me read you another bit of God's destination. This is out of the book of Revelation. It's pretty good. I recommend it. Chapter 21, John says this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. By the way, the earth doesn't go away. It just becomes renewed. Like some of us have these theologies that say that God's going to burn this planet up and send it away and that we're all going to float in non-bodied spiritual existence in heaven somewhere. That's also not true. Like this? Ain't going anywhere, people. Well, he said it was good in the garden and he wasn't joking. And then he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne. Look! God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. And all these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down. I'll tell you what is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. Anybody thirsty? Take a drink. Go ahead. Treat yourself. (laughs) Just saying. And all who are victorious will inherit these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Children. That's good. God has a destination more than he has this one scripted plan. Now, the reason I've been making a big deal about this is this. How many of you understand that there's more than one way to get to Los Angeles? Let's just think about this. We leave Campbellsville this afternoon. We get in our cars, we gas up, and we start driving west. How many different ways are there to get to Los Angeles? A thousand? I mean, that would be conservative, wouldn't it? A thousand? What if you decided that you were just going to walk and you weren't going to take any roads? You were going to walk the whole way on the grass. Could you do it? You could. Take a minute. You need a camelback and some sunscreen. But you could get there. So if there's at least a thousand ways to get to Los Angeles, how many ways are there to kingdom come? About a trillion. Maybe a trillion times a trillion. And I actually think this reveals the glory of God way more than that other story that we sometimes hear. And by the way, the other story that we sometimes hear, the highly meticulous control one, it's always for the glory of God. Like even when people die of cancer and their lives are ruined and they go bankrupt and there's four kids who don't have a mama anymore, that's all for God's glory. Hogwash. Here's God's glory. God's glory is that he could give away 
free will, that he could give away authority and the right to act in the earth, that he could give human beings power over sea and land and air and everything that lives over it. He could give that away, not just to human beings, but to human beings who would eventually make really poor choices, and not one poor choice, but trillions of poor choices for thousands of years, and that he could, through the course of trillions of people, who are making trillions of decisions, he could get us to his destination. I think that's glory. I ultimately think it's good news. You are not a robot. It's also serious news. You are not a robot. No one made you do it. <laughs> Why do we pray? Because not everything is settled. Not everything is settled. And by the way, this is really good news. This is really good news. Because what it means is this. If there's some stuff in your life that is jacked up, and there is, if there's some stuff in your life that seems really complicated and beyond the answers that a credit card or Google can give you, the good news is that if you meet with God, there's a chance that you might get a solution that you could have never dreamed of. That not everything is settled. Just because everything in your life is jacked up right now, it doesn't mean that everything in your life will be jacked up next year. Here's the deal. If we believe that God is perfectly in control, if we believe that every single thing that's happening to us is ultimately, ultimately his will for us, the first thing that goes is prayer. Just take my lumps. And if you don't stop praying, then you'll definitely stop praying a certain kind of prayer. And the kind of prayer you absolutely will stop praying is the one that says, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Until the whole earth is like heaven, let your kingdom come. You won't pray that prayer. And you might be asking, well, why in the world would God set it up like this? Here's why God would set it up like this. Because he's looking for partners. He's looking for partners. He's looking for people who want to work with him. God never makes anyone do anything. He is always looking for people who are agreeable to him. He could have programmed us. He could have, be, he could have, he could have had this crazy plan. He could be pulling our strings like puppets, but that would be boring. And it misses the bigger point that sits behind all of that. God is not a bit of intelligent gas floating in the ether of heaven. God is a relational person. He's relational. And because of that, he wants, he wants to have a personal interaction with everyone who's alive. Another way to say that is this. God is sovereign, but he is not more sovereign than he is a lover and a relator to people. This is a really big deal. This is a really big deal. Because sometimes what happens is, depending upon the branch of the church you grew up in or got saved into... Uh, different branches of the church emphasize different attributes of God. And I actually think that's a good thing. Uh, I'm not against denominations. I'm actually for them, just so you know. I think every, every one of them carries a measure of God's glory, and we need it. But what will oftentimes happen is that different branches of God's church all over the earth, they emphasize different aspects of his, uh, of his nature and his being, and they emphasize them at the exclusion of other aspects of his nature or being. And, they, and oftentimes they diminish those, and that can never happen. Uh, God is sovereign, but he is not more sovereign than he is a lover and a relator to people. Ever. Ever. In fact, the point is always, 
always, always, that people would begin to know God and would partner with him. God is looking for partners. The reason God didn't do everything in the garden is because he wanted people to help him. The Genesis account is this, that God started something and he created the world in six days. He rested on the seventh. But what he started in the sixth those six days of creation was literally only the beginning and his whole heart and his whole idea from the very start of this whole project would be that I would like to set up something that you and I could continue on, add to, change, morph, uh, advance, uh, shape, uh, uh, drive, steer, uh, uh, experiment with. Does this make sense? Like, the, I just want to tell you all, the future is open. Here's the deal. How many of you understand that there was no internet in the garden? How many of you also understand that God likes the internet? He's not against it. Like, what, he's, what he really likes is when people take the world of possibilities that he has set into motion, and when, when people take that world of possibilities and push them to all the, all the limits that they could possibly hold, conceive, and contain. I think God is just, I think he loves new ideas. That's what I think. And so God's looking for partners. And because of that, you and I have got to be prayer people. The saints pray. We pray because prayer is a part of freedom. But we also pray because not everything is settled. And God's looking for partners. God's looking for partners. And the last thing the world needs, the last thing the world needs is people using God-given authority who have not been shaped by prayer in actually meeting with God. I mean, that's the, whole, that's the whole issue right now, is that the world is being shaped by people who have not been touched by God. We need the world to be touched by God. And because of that, we have got to set aside a time and a place, a tent of meeting, to be with Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, one last question for the church. This was really fun for a service, by the way. Uh, how many of us in the room have some issues in our lives right now that you don't know what to do with them? Like, they're, they're not easily fixable. Like, they're just jacked up. Anybody got some of those? Well, here's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we're going to do some moving around. And if you're new this morning, we often move around at the vineyard. It's a lot easier when, when, when church is at summer pool like this. There's fewer of us. In another month, it'll be a lot harder to do this. So we're just going to take advantage of it before all those people get here. Um, here's what I want to do. If you have some issues in your life that are, that are just like not moving and you don't even know where to start with them or what to do, I just want you to come on up here and we're going to pray for you. Come on. This is very simple. You, just, you come up and we're going to pray for you. This was a lot of fun for a service. There you go. Very good. Very good. Way to cooperate. Okay. Uh, now, the uh, rest of the church, I need your all's help. Uh, everybody in the room knows how to pray. Just come up here and find someone, and here's what we're going to do. Find someone. Find out what's going on. We don't, have to take, we don't need an hour-long story. We just need the essence and the root of it, and we're going to pray. Is that okay? Yeah, come on. This is experimental. This is the benediction. Like, the point of church is not to hear something, it's to do something. Come on up. And Trace is going to play some prayer music. We're going to turn this place into a tent of meeting. 
And if you don't know how to pray for people, then whatever. Be blessed. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.